You guys have the passage, right? The program, little program. Would you all stand? Uh, let's read this passage. Since it's a short passage, Colossians 1, 23 and 24. Let's read uh, in one voice. Should we do that? Let's begin. They all were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Amen. You may be seated. We have a guest speaker today, uh, Pastor Orr. Joe is your first name, Pastor, right? Would you all welcome uh, Pastor Orr. Hello, everyone. Uh, if I want to introduce myself a little bit more. So I'm born and raised in California. Um, I actually am taking a sabbatical right now, but I served at my church for 12 years as a pastor, and I went there for 30 years. And so uh, my journey has been pretty interesting, uh, but uh, when I was asked uh, to speak here, I was very blessed because I know that this church's main crux is missions. And in my heart, like missions is where it's all about, right? Uh, I, I believe that our life and our calling is to really fulfill what the great commission is. But today what I want to really tackle is that question. A lot of us here, as I was talking to your senior pastor, a lot of us here, we actually get excited. We go out to summer missions. Uh, we go out to do some sort of evangelism, outreach. Uh, we do discipleship, etc. And when we're there, we're living a life that is just filled with passion for the Lord. And we're doing all these things. But somewhere between, it feels as if that there's a dissonance. It feels as if for many of us in our daily life, it doesn't seem so Christ-centered. It feels as if that missional call for some of us even, maybe we've gone on a mission trip a long time ago, maybe we went to revival a long time ago. For some of us, it feels as if what we believe in with our minds and what we feel with our hearts is completely apart. And that's who I want to talk to today. We who want to live missionally, and yet, practically speaking, our lives seem to not really practically live out the things that we believe in. I personally, uh, I'm a pastor's kid, and so I'm a third generation uh, pastor now. And so it's kind of like you would think that Jesus would be proclaimed in our household each and every day right? But I remember when I was in high school, my, my father, like, because he's at church all the time, when he's at home, he'll be wearing like a, you know, those Korean tank tops and boxers reading the Bible or reading a book. And he'll just be lounging around. And, and a lot of times I would ask that question, where is Christ in the household? And I remember like, I was trying to, you know, just growing up, I never wanted to be a pastor, you know, because I realized how hard the church is, you know, you would say like, People come to church and you say, like, people stop being Christians because of the church or because of Christians, right? A lot of times that's what people say, and there's a lot of people that are hurt. And, and I saw all that, and I never want to be a pastor. Lo and behold, here I am, right? But the crazy thing was, in my mid-20s, I had to ask myself that question. If I'm going to live as a Christian, if I'm going to live as a pastor, then I better believe in it. And so the question was, how can I actually live out and believe that this great commission was great? And for me, what I had to do was I had to look at the life of Paul, how his life changed. And so that's what I want to lead us to today. And so if you could open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 1. 
verse 11. We're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24. And we're going to go from there. So this is going to be the reading of God's word. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But what, when, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were, in, who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I did not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the church, churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. This is reading God's word. Amen? So before I even go, uh, begin, I want to really highlight again like, a lot of times we look at the life of Paul, we're like, wow, he's an amazing missionary, right? He's an apostle amongst apostles. Like, how can, I can't ever do what he does. Like, I can't be in prison and rejoice and celebrate and sing in prison. You know, like, I can't do these things. If things happen that are, are really bad, I'm going to feel it. And, and yet, a lot of us seem to jump over a key part of this passage, which is he went to Arabia for three years, and I'm going to highlight that later. But... The question we're going to answer is why he went to Arabia for three years. But the first point I actually do want to make is that we must know the good news we carry, that it is truth. And the reason why I say this is we live in a very relativist culture. And uh, from my background, again, I was a pastor for a high school department for three years, uh, for junior high for six, seven years. And so I know, like, as you guys know, many of us here are millennials, right? But Gen Z uh, is coming up. So uh, a lot, there's a lot of people that say different periods of what Gen Z is, but a lot of them believe it's 2000 on, right? So pretty much when I was serving in high school, a lot of my students were Gen Zers. And the craziest thing about them is like at least millennials, right? We kind of know what is right or wrong, at least up to a certain scope, but we just can't like adhere to it or really reach those standards, right? And we, so we live our lives saying, you know, I want to get there, but uh, I don't know if I'm going to get there. I'm going to try. And then we fail, fail, fail. We, we trust in the Lord and we grow in, in sanctification that kind of way. But Gen Z is crazy. Like the, the way they talk is kind of like this. If you really get to the nit and gritty of what they believe in, what determines their decisions in their life is not what is right or wrong, but what can harm them and what benefits them. 
If you see the scope of every decision the high school teens, because uh, I, I served at Saran Community Church in Anaheim, so we had a lot of high school kids. We had a mo- many different variety of high school kids. And the craziest thing is all their, pretty much all their decisions are based on what benefits and what hurts them. And so for them, this concept of truth, like they come to church and, and the crazier thing is like they will sit there and I'll be preaching and they'll be shaking their heads, but it will just be going in one year and out the other year, right? They're very good at just pretending like everything's okay, but in their hearts, what drives them is not what, what is right or wrong, but what is going to benefit them and what's going to hurt them. And that's a culture that we live in. Like, you do you, I do me. Like, I'm going to let you believe in what you believe. I believe in what I believe. Even if it's completely different things, we could exist on this earth happily, and we're all good. Right? And again, I'm not trying to uh, really promote, like, fighting for our, what is right and, and, and be activists and things like that per se. Not, not in this context. But what I do want to share is a lot of us sitting in this place, even though we believe somewhat cognitively that there is right or wrong, our life doesn't really believe it. Because the truth is, if the good news, if the gospel that Jesus Christ, God of the universe, came to this earth to die for our sins and to give us new life, if that truth is actually true, our life should have something to show for it. So the question isn't, are we... Do we not believe in the mission? The question is, do we believe in the gospel? Do we believe in the good news as the truth of our life? And I think that's the first question we have to unpack before we can do anything as a Christian. And it's more complex as I talked about because we live in a culture where it is very, very, very circumstantially based. Based on the day, based on our feeling, based on what just happened. And we are reactionary. We're not living principle-oriented. And so let's look at the way Paul reacts to the truth, to build a basis of what it means to be missional. If you go back to verse 11 and 12, what does Paul say? For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So one of the key components of apologetics, if you guys know what apologetics is, it is defending the faith, is this aspect of truth, and that truth cannot come from man, right? In apologetics, you have to believe that there, it has to be a higher being that determines truth, otherwise it cannot be truth. Otherwise, it's just an opinion. And what Paul is saying, and what he is reiterating again right here, is that the gospel that he preaches is not his, but it is from God. That's the first thing that he says to really affirm what the missional call that God has given him is. And I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves today. Do we believe what God has commanded us to be above our ambitions, above our hardships, above what each and every one of us are going through. Because if we really look at our lives a lot of times, we look up to God, we honor Him, we glorify Him when He is blessing us. When things are tough, we lock down, we become a turtle, we kind of block everything out and we say, God, until you open these doors, I'm going to be on standby. But that is one of the reasons why maybe our life, our Christian life is in a standstill. 
Right here, what Paul is saying is he adheres to the fact that the gospel that was preached, that he was preaching, was not his. It was God's. And that is why Paul went from one of the most popular Jews of his period to one of the most hated. Judaizers who believed that you needed to still get circumcised and still follow the old law. Uh, these Gentiles that were like, who is this guy that is coming and preaching us? What not? Like, he had to preach it regardless of how unpopular the gospel was. And the only way he was able to do it was because in his heart he believed that God's word was much more important than anything else in his little in his space. But let's continue on to see how he responds to truth. If you look at verse 13 to 14, what, what, is, what does it say? For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Again, you see right here that Paul was much ahead of his people. He, again, he was a Pharisee. He was a disciple of Gamaliel, who was the preeminent Pharisee of that time, ruling elder of that time. He was on the fast track to become one of the main people in the Jewish people. And yet, when he was conflicted and when he went down the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus, he had to reconcile, do I want to continue and pretend like Jesus is not real and pursue my ambitions? Or do I change my life because this truth has affected me so? Others of us sitting here in this room, we love Jesus. But we love our ambitions more. Myself included, for the longest time, I wanted uh, to be a film director when I was younger. I want to create story. And so I, I was going to go uh, to USC film school at that time. And at that time, it was crazy because at that time, uh, you guys remember, uh, you guys are old enough, I think. You guys remember Love Story in Harvard? They were filming in UCLA, right? Uh, I was offered an internship to get in and get in to see like a lot of the different filming aspects of at least Korean film. And so I was going to go in. And that was exactly the time of our retreat. It was crazy. Like, and I've gone to every single junior high retreat until that time. And I was like, God, like, real talk. I've served faithfully. I, I, and I, I went to UC San Diego, and so I drove up every Sunday to serve at our church, right? And, and even one year, I commuted for one semester from San Diego. It took like five hours round trip sometimes. It was crazy. But I said, God, like, you know my heart. Like, you know that I've served faithfully. Like, let, let me just pursue this a little bit. Like, God, you know. And I was praying, and God just hit me in the heart. He said, it's not about you not going to retreat and serving it's about what's going on in your heart. What is it? If you say you're my life, your life is mine, how about this ambition? Can you trust me with it? And I struggled for like two weeks. I struggled for two weeks. I was like, God, like, I can't, I can't just, like, I need to do something. Go to retreat. So I, I, I didn't go and I didn't intern at, at, at uh, that set, but rather I went to retreat. And that's when God, again, confirmed for me that, you know what? Because you're able to give that up, I'm going to open your heart. And that's when he called me to ministry. But again, so, so many of us, we have this truth in our heart that we're fighting through, but we're not really accepting as a truth. 
But let's continue on to see another part of what the truth is. And so if you go and continue on to verse 15 and 16, but when he who has set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I'm going to read that one more time. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So I, again, I don't know if you believe in predestination or, or, or uh, free will or whatever it may be, and where you stand if you're a Calvinist or Armenian, it's not a matter of that. But if you look at so many passages of the Bible, whether it be Ephesians 1 and etc., there is this sense that God has called us to be his children before the creation of time. And the reason why I highlight this again, and the reason why Paul highlights this is because there is a, what calling is, is not some choice that we make. It is something that is given to us that we have to choose to accept yes or no. And you and I will not ever be able to fully be satisfied and fulfilled with our life until we say yes to the calling. And what Paul was saying here is, number one, where the truth really affected him in his life and about the, the unpopular decisions he had to make. He said, you know what? The truth still stands. When his ambition got in the way, he said, you know what? I still would adhere and submit to the truth. And finally, right here, when life might have turned a certain way and when he had choices to pursue certain things, he would always reaffirm the truth in his heart to say, God has called me to preach the gospel before the creation of time. This is my calling. And as a Christian, every single one of us to some juncture is called to this calling. And so this is the base of what Paul, the power that Paul had. And this is something that I want to highlight before we go into the rest of the, the message, which is, do you actually believe that God has called you to a great thing? Do you actually deeply in your heart believe this? Or do you have fear? Do you have greed? Do you have all these personal things that gets in the way of the things that God can do in our lives? Because a lot of the battle that we have is in this headspace that we have here. And what mindset that we have. Because if we have a heart, God, I'm not there, but I'm going to seek you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm not fully there, but I trust in you. I depend on you as one of the liturgies we're talking about, right? I'm going to depend on you in these moments where I don't know. And I'm not fully there yet, but I'm going to get there because I believe that this truth is bigger than me. It's more important than me. And it is central in my life. Only then can we start living powerfully as a Christian, truly satisfied with the life that God has given us. Amen? But let's continue on to see how this truth really saturated in Paul's heart. So let's go to verse 17 real quick. Verse 17 says this. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But what does it say? But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So the, one of the questions that we have to ask that maybe many of us don't ask. We just read this. So, okay, cool. He was, he was in Arabia for three years. But think about it for a second. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? Damascus. He met Jesus. He had this crazy experience. 
Like that will blow your mind. Think about Jesus speaking to you and saying, what are, why are you pursuing, uh, persecuting me? Like, what are you doing? Like, and you had this experience. You meet, you encounter Jesus. Okay, let's just say that happened to you, right? You're, you have all this passion. What do you want to do with that passion? You want to share it. A lot of times when we first become Christians, when we're passionate, we just want to share it, which is a good thing. But why is Paul going to Arabia for three years? There's a lot of different people that have a lot of different things that they said. But one of the scholars I, you know, um, that I do look up to in a certain way, N.T. Wright, would, had a deep and like, intensive study of Paul's life, especially when he went to Arabia. And what he said was Paul needed to get away, get away from everything to process this truth and make it his. This is my second point, that... The truth in itself, if it reaches our mind, it's not going to do anything in that we have to make this call that we have ours. We have to process it. And we live in a time where we're working, 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 working. We're hustling to get to a certain point. We're studying. We're doing all these things. And when it comes to our time, what do we do? We fill it with ways to relax and unwind, right? I, for one, I like basketball, so I either watch the Lakers play, I still kind of, I have to see how LeBron's going to do before I could give him my full, you know, blessings, right? But I, you know, I watch basketball, I play basketball, uh, I still, like, that's kind of how I unwind. But think about it this way, let's say you work maybe 60, 80 hour weeks, or maybe you go to school and you have a full-time job, as I've done. And so you're doing all these things, what do you do a lot of times in your free time? You just unwind by doing mindless things. But let me ask you then, when do you have the time to think and process and find yourself? Sometimes we say, oh, we worship in the car, which is good. But a lot of times, let me tell you, when you're trying to keep your eyes on the road, trying to figure out where you're going and things like that, listening to music, meditate, it's very hard to find yourself in these things. And Paul knew that this truth was so real and so big that for him to really live for it, he had to make it his. And even in Galatians 4, he talks about how Mount Sinai is in Arabia. And if you think about it, if you look at the way Paul was aligning himself, he was actually trying to go down the road of Elijah. So Elijah was one of the most uh, popular people to emulate in the Jewish tradition in first century uh, Judea, uh, Judea because like, he was like the rock star, right? Like, if you want to serve God, then you want to be like Elijah. And actually, that is the reason why he was a zealot, right? That's the reason why he thought killing these Christians was serving God. Because in a way, Elijah shows some sort of that zealousness, right? And, and so even this Mount Sinai is Paul going to Arabia, maybe perhaps to Mount Sinai, to really meditate on what this truth meant for him. I think the next step after really knowing the truth, and this is what I had to do when I was in my mid-20s. I had to say, God, like this truth that you have is so big for me. It hit me one day. I was doing my QTs, and I just came back from a place called Toajeli, New Mexico, which is a Native American reservation. I had one of the most like mind-blowing experiences where me and the chieftain, we went to the top of the mountain, we're galloping. It was my first time on the horse. I did not have a saddle. It hurt like crazy, right? We're just galloping on the, the steps and we're just going and, and we stopped. We saw the whole land and he was telling me the need of 
the reservation, the alcoholism, uh, just the brokenness, uh, the murder, like, etc. And he was sharing with me, and that stood so real to me when I came back. I was like, I gotta make this mission a call mine. And I was studying Paul, and I re- and, and then I, I was hit upon this three years that he was in Arabia. And I was like, God, why did you send, why was Paul in Arabia for three years? And that's when he hit my heart saying, Joe, the call that you have is always going to be there, but you have to believe in it with your life. And for some of us in this room, we go to missions, you might serve, you might come here on Sundays, and you might feel good, but it kind of feels like you're halfway there right? You kind of feel like you're half feet in, uh, your other feet out, right? And, and a lot of us, we're kind of in a limbo because when we're there, we're blessed. When we're not, we're not. And I think one of the biggest components and the reasons why that is, is we haven't fully chewed on this good news that should excite our hearts each and every day. That when we, when we hear that God is love, We have heard it so many times, even though it's the greatest news that this world has ever heard, we have heard it so many times, we have kind of zoned it out that it's not real to us anymore. And so I think each and every one of us, if we believe that we have to live missionally, we have to truly make that mission ours, our passion, not just something our church does, not just something our friends do, because as you know, like, that's something I see a lot, especially amongst teens. They're very, they, they go with the hype, right? So if all their friends do it, they do it. And so some of them is crazy. Like, I see a group, because I, I usually, I try to take smaller groups, but sometimes I can't help it. So, like, sometimes we take groups of 60 people, right? So we go, 60 teens, think about that for a second, 60 teens. So we go with 60 teens, but they're all good. And then they come, come back, and two weeks later, I hear, like, 10 of them are doing drugs behind their school. And I'm like, I remember in the beginning, I was like, how is this possible? And I realized because that mission wasn't theirs. And so this is the second thing I want to reiterate. Application. After this uh, message, I don't know uh, like how much you're hearing of it, but one thing I do ask is if you're really, if it's someone somehow reaching your heart, that you will process and think about you're going to a church that really loves missions. A church that really believes that God's call is to use you to make him known. Is it your call? Is it really your call? Because I think that is so imperative before we can actually have a missional life that is that's longevity. Amen? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead into my final point. And my final point is that we must live out our call day by day. And I'm going to read for us the rest of the verses, verse 18 through 24. Again, this is reading God, God's word. Then after three years, he went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea and that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. The last thing I want to say is we must live out our call day by day. And one thing I want to highlight again is you can't be missional with your life until your living is missional. 
And this was one of the main questions I had to answer for myself before I could say to myself that I'm living missionally, that my life is mission-focused. And the crazy thing for a lot of us is, okay, one, we, we believe in the truth. Two, we've said, you know what, God, I'm here. I, I want to do it. But three, and maybe some of us process it, and it is deeply, it is ours. We want to do it, but we don't know how to do it. And some of us have fear. We have fear of the unknown. We have fear of what's going to happen. Maybe every time you come to service, God is like nudging you. It's like, hey, go, go. And you're like, "Uh, I can't. And we have fear driving our hearts. And and that's the thing. A lot of times we have to understand the inverse relationship between faith and fear, right? There's never going to be 100% faith because we have sinful natures. Right? We have flesh. We're fleshly. And so you could say you have all this faith, but honestly speaking, we have this faith that overcomes some parts of our fear. And when, you, when we're in this totem, we have to understand that the only way we move towards faith is when we really go to Jesus. There's no way. You can't be more, have more faith in your character. You can't have more faith in, in your, long, like your history of how you've lived. If you try to have faith in yourself, I promise you, you will crash and burn. Because I had a lot of phases in my life where I had faith in who I was as a Christian. And at the end of the day, I still tell a lot of my congregation members that the only reason I'm standing before them is not because of this history of sanctification that I've lived, but because in any single moment, I could tell myself, I could fall, I could fail, I could crash and burn if I'm not looking to Jesus. How do we live missionally, theoretically, and then I'm going to talk about practically. We live our life missionally when our eyes are solely focused on Christ. And for Paul, he was able to do missional work like a, like a madman. He was able to meet these disciples and not be kind of like brought down and not feel insignificant, all these different things, and etc., and go to different cities and preach to strangers because he wasn't just preaching to strangers. He's not talking to these spiritual giants. Rather, he was keeping his eyes on Jesus Christ. And I know you hear this many times, but unless you actually do it, you will never experience what faith actually looks like. And that's the thing, church, that we have to really do. We have to live out our day-by-day missionally. That means, uh, practically speaking, what does that mean? Saturday, like even Sunday, right? Saturday nights, what time do we sleep? Right? How do we use our money? What are we actually doing at our work? And in this moment, are we just putting everything under the rug? Like, you know what? Like, I'm going to get my act together. Or are we looking to Jesus, saying, Jesus... This is real. Like, I've been ignoring it this whole time. You have to help me fix this. You have to help me grow. One thing for me that was uh, the hardest was, I like for me, it's my, my problem was I had a crazy passion, right? I had a crazy passion for the church. I had a crazy passion for missions. But a lot of times when I had this passion, I had like, uh, like blinders on. And sometimes I couldn't see what God wanted me to do. My journey for the mission work, it started, I, I truly believe, when I was like 23 years old, when I went to Tawajiri for the first time. And for me, actually, I went there for over 10 years, right, to a point where two years ago, I was like, 
uh, what is it, two years ago, I was like, I went there probably for, I, I, I had some hiatuses, like three, four years hiatuses, but I went there for like seven years. And two years ago, I was at this point where I was, asked, I was on the mission field. I was actually on the mission field and I was asking myself, what's going to happen when I go back home? That's, that was like the main question that happened two years ago. Like, what am I going to do when I go back home? Am I going to go back to my old life of just going into cruise mode, cruise control? And I, me- I remember at that moment, God said to me, hey, Joe, look at that guy. And there was a guy, like he was a novel brother. He was around my age, right? And he was dealing with crazy, like uh, he, was, he was alcoholic. He was uh, really dealing with uh, like drinking like from day to night, right? And, and at that time he came, he's like, I want to get my life straight. Can you pray for me? And for some reason, like, again, God compelled for me to take him under my wing. But think about that. Think about that for a second. Like, I, I forgot. To, I left something on point two that I, I do have to highlight. Um, we, like, when Paul was in, in uh, what is it, Arabia for three years, one important thing he did, I, I forgot to highlight this, was he counted the cost, right? That's, that's part of, like, making it yours. Like, you have to count the cost. You have to make it yours. That's how you do it, because you got to also account for the negative things that's going to happen. That's how you can have longevity. Where, well, here, I was at uh, Toajili, and I was thinking about it. I was counting the cost. I was like, God, like, do you really want me to take this, this brother in? Uh, he, he was like uh, 20, uh, yeah, he was 29 at that time. I was like 33, 34. 33, right? And so I was like only four years older than him. And I was like, like, I'm going to take him in? Like, what am I going to do? I don't even know what to do, right? And he's like, take him in. That's my answer. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, I can't. And I remember at that time, I counted the cost. I said, okay, this is what's going to happen. How much is it going to cost me? And it's crazy because at that time, uh, I actually started a business, like a missional business that sells disciples. It's called Amen Asai. We're like in Cyprus. And at that time, we're losing like $7,000 a, a month. And I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't make my salary. Like, I was like dying, right? Like, and so I was like, like, this is happening. I'm, 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 I'm hugely in negative right now. Like, how am I going to take this guy in? How am I going to survive? God, like, what am I going to do? And he said, Joe, trust in me. And this was a secret of how I was able to really live my mission life day by day. At that moment, at that, that specific moment after I counted the cost, after I made the mission mine, right after I knew this truth is so real to me, I just had to take a leap. I couldn't think about it like all the repercussions. I just had to say, God, I trust you. And so I just jumped. And I said, brother, you want to stay with me? He's like, what? He's like, you want to stay with me? He's like, Okay. Let me talk to my, his family. And so he talked to his family. So he came over uh, from New Mexico to Orange County. Uh, and he stayed with me for six months. And truth be told, it was, it was, it was not easy. Uh, every morning we did QTs. Like he went with me everywhere, right? And it was good. Like for me, it was good because I saw how God was bringing everything together. Like I was able to finally see. This is one of the craziest things. You're able to see why, how God is forming your life when you obey, right? And so finally I was like, okay, you open Amen Asai, like for this purpose, like to support 
him, even though like I'm going in negative, I'm still giving like 10% of whatever to, that's not a good business model, right? But regardless, I was like still like supporting him, all these different things. I was like, God, what? And at the end of six months, I found out he's been drinking for two months of that six months. I know you expected something different, right? Some like good story, right? It was the complete opposite. Complete opposite. He was lying to me for two months. He was like, every time he's like, hey, uh, like, Peter, I'm going to go. I'm going to play some ball in the, in, you know, in the park. And I was like, okay. He was like drinking like by himself. Without, like, and I remember at the end of it, like he got violent. He got drunk. He came to our church and he was getting violent to the point. I was like, bro, like, I, I can't take you in anymore. And you're like, why is he sharing the story? Like, like with this ending. I remember that night, like, and the next morning, I had to preach for our main service church, like early morning you know, service. It was called Vision Worship. And I had to preach at that service. And I was still awake at 4 a.m. in the morning. And I was, and all, and, and few of my teachers are with me, like four of them. And we're sitting around because he was getting really violent. Uh, he had a key to my house. Uh, they were worried that he would thrash my house. And so they were waiting there. Um, and I remember at that moment, it, it was crazy. At the end of it, I thought about the beginning of those six months where I, I was obedient to the call. And that night, for a few hours, I was asking God, like, why? I'm living out your mission of life. Why? I thought, you know, like, I'm trusting you. Why did it end up like this? And I remember that night, like, there's few times where I could audibly hear the voice of God, but that night, I felt God place upon my heart, this is the reason why you have to live missionally. Because the world is broken. I was like, God, like, you spent that six months to take me through that? This Bible is actually the Bible that I gave to him. And the one he just left before he, he moved back. And at that moment, it hit me. I do not live missionally because the world changes. But I live missionally because the world needs to change. And Jesus called me to it. You see... If this message ends with us believing that if we believe in God, that all these things are going to happen, then you're going to hit these road bumps and you're going to fall. But if you believe in the truth that the world needs Jesus more than anything in this world, and you know and you've seen it, you've seen the pain of this world, you've seen how broken your life was, that my life was before Jesus, and you realize the gravity of how good this good news is, only then can you say, I can live missionally. Real talk, like, for the first few months, every time I saw this Bible, my heart, it's just like a sore going through my heart. But the crazy thing is, this was two years ago, right? I got a message two weeks ago. You know, I was getting ready for this message three weeks, and I was like, should I even include this story? Like, what can I do? I got a message uh, two weeks ago from, from the brother. He said he's nine months sober, and... Um, He's, he's praying for revival, 
in this reservation. Praise the Lord. And I remember at that time, because he sent the same message to one of my teachers, because my teachers, like, they knew how much I invested in them. They said, you know, at the end of the day, even though we can't see it, God uses our obedience and sacrifice. And the crazy thing, though, is, till this day, I've not given up on missions. You know, I'm on my sabbatical, but uh, we go to missions. Like, we went to Tawajili for 11 years now, but we've been going to Mexico for even longer than that. And like even myself and my wife, uh, we're going to go like once a month to train missionaries, even on my sabbatical. Because for me, it's, it's not about like taking a rest or ministry or this or that. I'm still trying to fulfill out the missional call that God has given me to the best of my ability. So I really pray that each and every one of us here, that first, we understand this, this call is so important. But not only is it important, but it's the truth. This is our calling. And that takes precedence over everything else. And second, that we actually process it, that we, we make it ours, we count the cost, we see uh, how we really truly believe and we can lay down our living for it. And finally, to take a leap of faith when God calls us to be obedient and to not be in fear, but to be in faith. Because at the end of the day, it's not about what you and I have done, is what we actually can do for the kingdom that should excite our hearts. Can we close our eyes? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. I know many of us, uh, we, we might be in a funk. Maybe we're in a funk because uh, we feel as if our convictions have lessened. And if that is so, Lord, I pray that we may allow this word, this truth to hit our hearts again. For some of us, we have not processed what this calling actually means in our lives. And so even though, God, you're pointing us to a certain direction, you're showing us other signs, because we are rebelling against you, our lives are in disarray. And finally, for some of us, we are ready but we're fearful and we have doubt. Lord, for those of us that are there, I pray that rather than what the result will be, we may see that the call is so important in our lives. And Father, I just thank you so much for this time. And I pray that you will move in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.